Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined today by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on, brother? Nothing much, Bill. It is a, it is a beautiful day in Central Florida. Uh, it is not going to get above 90 for the rest of the week, uh, and I have never been happier. God, it is disgusting that that's what you're happy about. Yeah, it's brutal. Uh, we, uh, I, as many of you heard on last week's edition of the podcast, I was uh, pet sitting for my younger sister in lovely Columbus, Ohio, uh, where it was like 95 every day until it just immediately broke and got down to the 60s. And now I'm back in Syracuse where it's mid 60s for the foreseeable future. And I could not be happier. Uh, but we're not here to talk. I mean, we could probably talk about the weather all evening, uh, but instead I think it would be good if we talk about Penn State football, which certainly played a game this weekend. It had its homecoming contest against the Purdue Boilermakers. Came out on top 35-7. to seven. Sean Clifford, another big game, 20 for 29, 264 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Uh, maybe the big story of the game, and something we'll certainly spend some time talking about, was Noah Kane had a real breakout performance, 12 carries, 105 yards. Both of those led the team and also had a score on the ground. Clifford also was able to run one in. Jahan Dotson and K.J. Hamler picked up uh, receiving touchdowns, and then the Penn State defensive line. Really, the entire defense maybe had its most dominant game of the year, even though it allowed, it allowed seven points. Uh, most dominant game under Pry. You can. That I think you can absolutely say that. Just a a Herculean effort uh, by the Nittany Lion defense had, I believe, ten, yeah, had ten sacks, thirteen tackles for loss. Purdue had negative nineteen rushing yards and one hundred twenty three passing yards. Just. Top to bottom, an outstanding effort by the Penn State defense, but it was a weird game, Matt, in that I think it more left a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of fans than it did really made people think, wow, they won by 28 points. They uh, Purdue only scored on – they got a bit lucky uh, on a 50-50 ball coming down deep in Penn State territory. They outgained them by 360 yards, all this stuff. Why would? Why do you say that it's, at, at least in, uh, something I think you'd agree with, why Penn State fans are maybe a little bit leery about how this one went? It just didn't feel like a very satisfying 28-point win uh, just because how gross they looked towards the end. Uh, their first four drives were fantastic. Um, in the entire first quarter, they had, I think it was like two or three negative plays total. They just found a way to move the ball, and it feels like after the game was kind of in hand, they figured to dial it back. I, this stretch coming up right here, this Iowa-Michigan-Michigan straight stretch is going to define the season. So I think the staff kind of figured, why tip our hand here when we can just get by playing a really vanilla brand of offense? I think that's basically where I'm at, and I don't know if that is what happened or how I'm trying to rationalize that it happened, but it really did seem like, you know, they missed that field goal uh, after Purdue's scoring drive. That, that drive just ended up getting kind of weird. Uh, KJ Hamler got taken down for a long loss on a first down uh, when they were looking like they were getting in a position to get six points, end up missing a field goal. Uh, Purdue gets two possessions to end up end the half on a fluke play involving Jonathan Sutherland, uh, football just bouncing off of him. Then they get to the third quarter, a uh, punt. Yeah, uh, that was a, I forgot about that play. What a weird day well, special teams-wise. I totally forgot about that. That was It, it was funny because as I was getting all prepared for this, I looked and I saw Penn State, you know, uh, you know, no, when, uh, after its final touchdown, there was that interception 
where it looked like KJ Hammer and Sean Clifford weren't on the right page. Then with a missed field goal drive, and then I see fumble and downs to end the end the half, and I went, "Where, where the hell was that fumble?" And then I remember it was basically the fluky play to end all fluke plays, where it just bounced a little bit awkwardly. But then getting to that second half, it really seemed to me, Matt, like. Penn State realized with how its defense was playing and how its offense looked when it was clicking early on. And this is this might be the uh, optimist take on this. It very well might be possible that they just got completely knocked out of their rhythm. But it seemed to me, like you said, like all they wanted to do is just take their foot off the gas, kill off this game, make sure no one gets hurt, and then get to next week's game in Iowa City, 100% healthy, not putting anything too special on the, uh, not putting anything too special on tape. Having said that, I think the best way to approach this game is to basically break down what went right at the start, what caused the issues and the little bit of a lull that they got in in the middle of the game, uh, most of the th- third, uh, some of the second quarter, most of the third quarter, and then how they turn that around on their final drive, which. Uh, uh, the final drive that I believe had, yeah, that had the starters out there, the end of the touchdown. So we'll start with the good. What went right for Penn State so that when they got the ball to start the game, they went touchdown, 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 and Purdue went three and out, three and out, uh, three and out, and then a fumble after five plays. Yeah, I, I, touched on, I touched on it a bit earlier. Uh, it's just that they had no negative plays. They found out how they would be able to move the ball. It wasn't necessarily a lot of running plays. I mean, you had a couple runs from Clifford early on, but then you had uh, a strike to Daniel George. Then you had that 23-yard touchdown on a little um, like seam fade to the back corner of the end zone. They just called a really smart game, and that's why I don't – again, optimist take – That's why I don't think I'm too concerned about what happened in the latter half of the game, just because of how easily Penn State moved the ball to start. I mean, there was nothing that Purdue looked like they were doing differently to make that stop. I mean, I feel like if they really wanted to, Penn State could have dropped 60-plus in this game. I I think that's probably true as well. And as I'm looking through the first four drives again, it just seemed like it was a lot of you know, very efficient running of the football, you know, three, four, five, six-yard carries, whether it was by a running back, whether it was by Sean Clifford, and then just smart passes and playmakers making big plays. There was uh, K.J. Hamler scoring on that slot seam route that uh, we, we're going to unofficially call the day Sean Hamilton since he scored a million touchdowns off of that in his career. Uh, there was Jahan Dotson with his gigantic play, but So much of this Penn State team, I think, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, they're at their best when they're at a rhythm. I think that's something that's probably indicative of any young uh, football team when they're able to get into their rhythm. You're able to see them at the best. Issues tend to pop up when that rhythm gets mucked up. I think that they showed in those first four drives that when they are clicking, when everyone is on the same page, when everything is working... They can score, they can move the ball at will against many, many defenses, even if Purdue is banged up. And they can play offense with basically anyone in the country. Yeah, they like, they like to sustain drives. Uh, the first touchdown drive was six plays. Uh, the second one was five plays. The third one was two plays, but that's because Jahan Dotson rules. Uh, the fourth one was seven plays. And then um, 
They had a, the interception was four plays, and the missed field goal was 10 plays. So when they're able to keep the offense on the field, and like you said, get into a rhythm, they can move the ball and control the clock at the same time. And I think that's going to go a long way going forward. And it also helps when you have a defense that was as locked in as Purdue's defense was. And we had, I, mean, we, I mean, Penn State's defense was. One thing that we absolutely have to stress is that Purdue was without a starting quarterback and was without one of the most explosive players in all of college football and Rondale Moore. It makes sense that Purdue would have the issues that Purdue had. Having said, having acknowledged all of that, Matt, negative five yards, negative four yards, negative five yards, 10 yards, two yards. Those were Purdue's first five drives of the game. They then had that one good drive. Where, again, they throw a jump ball up to David Bell. He comes down with it. They score a touchdown on that drive eventually. The negative nine yards, eight yards, negative two yards, three yards, negative five yards, 17 yards, 14 yards, six yards, six yards. That was Purdue's day. <laughs> yeah, I think what was the sad? There was one total one total yard in the first quarter or something like that. Well, it, and it, then yeah, it, just, yeah, it was one. Get, it, it just didn't get much better. It, and this is the kind of performance – I think it can be a bit of – you know, it's something we can lean on a bit too much as Penn State fans because Penn State usually does this in the bad games, in games against lesser teams, apologies. But this is the exact performance you want to see out of a Penn State defense that was a bit up and down to start the year, especially its pass rush, which, again, got home 10 times during this football game. And it's not even like that was just defensive ends. I mean, Lamont Wade, Robert Windsor, Antonio Sheldon. I mean, the defensive ends led the way. Micah Parsons had one. But when you have guys from all three levels getting to the quarterback, you it really feels like you can't call anything wrong. Yeah, and I, I do – I want to go back. I haven't really gotten a chance to go back and watch the game too terribly closely, and I want to see how much they were blitzing and how much it was just – Shock at Tony's faster than everybody else. Right, but that was – the thing that really jumped out to me during the game was that Shaka Tony and Yitor Grossmatos didn't just seem bigger than faster than everyone else. They seemed much bigger than everyone else. They were just pushing dudes around up front and make whether they were getting there or making it easier for Micah Parsons for Lamont Way, who had an outstanding game, eleven tackles uh, as a career high for him. Everything was just clicking for Penn State's defense. And this is – Iowa, Michigan, and Michigan State are going to present very different challenges, I would say. But this was the exact performance that they needed to have in this football I, – when we're talking about the offense, we're going to break it down into what went, what went right, what went wrong. With the defense – it was what went right for the entire football game. You said it was the best performance of, the, of Brent Pry's time here. Why would you say that? They looked, all three levels looked outstanding. Uh, and, and that was we were, what we were hoping would happen with this pass rush is that it would make life easier on this secondary. The secondary was banged up. They were without Tui Castro, Fields, and Donovan Johnson, two of your top three corners heading into the season. And the fact that, what was the number? How many passing yards did? Uh, 123. 123? The fact they limited that to that, I mean, granted, it was a back of quarterback. I get it. No Rondell Moore. But that's against a Big Ten opponent. That's fantastic. And there's really no better way to go into this next three-game stretch than either pass rush feeling good, your linebackers playing great, and then your secondary feeling like they can keep up with anybody in the country. And that's 
like we mentioned, that seemed like a bit of an issue for Penn State uh, with a few games earlier in the year. I mean, the best example, I mean, the Maryland game they were out tonight, but the Pitt game uh, and the Buffalo game, we saw a bit of an issue with Penn State being able to get home. Uh, its pass rush was doing some stuff up front, but they weren't getting to the quarterback and taking him down and really asserting themselves in that game. So it was really good to see that against Purdue. Uh, the one thing that we didn't see, though, was Penn State's offense after those first four eh, after those first four drives that might even be a stretch because Ward knows what happens if there isn't a miscommunication on that interception the missed field, field goal right the missed field goal came after they get down to uh, Purdue's twenty one yard line and then KJ Hamler gets taken down for a loss of eight yards and they just can't get past that and Jake Finnegar misses a field goal like. I'm not too terribly concerned about those, although you'd like to see Jake Pinnegar make the field goal. I'm confident that he'll be able to do that. But that second half, it just seemed like nothing was really working. And I have my reason, like I have my theory on this, and I want to hear what you think, Matt, for why you think Penn State just kind of got into that that little bit of a funk uh, for their first one, two, three, five drives to start the second half. I think a lot of it was just them experimenting a little bit more. It looks like they ran uh, a couple of different plays that I saw the run with McSorley, that weird kind of RPO that's not an RPO, where they have a receiver fly out to the flat and stay behind the line of scrimmage. They did that. I think to Dotson, it ended really poorly. It just looked like they were trying to figure out plays that they tried in the past that didn't work and figure out if they would work in this example or in this uh, scenario. And then see if they could keep them going forward. I think it was a lot of just experimenting. And a lot of the plays just prove that they're probably not worth keeping around going forward. And the thing that you and I were talking about before the game started, I mean, before this podcast started, was this reminded me, and it reminded you as well, of... You know, ironically enough, the whole first time Penn State wore the Generations of Greatness unis that they wore on Saturday, which was when they played Indiana uh, in 2017. Everyone remembers that as the game that Saquon Barkley housed the opening kickoff. Uh, I'll be honest, it was I was really upset when I saw the pictures of Micah Parsons warming up with the kick returners, and I was really, really hoping they would jog him out there for the first one. <laughs> and if he, if he would have taken the opening kick back, I, I would have smashed my TV out yes, of joy. Every- I would have thrown it. It would have meant that Penn State's two most uh, surefire things in the NFL over the last, during the James Franklin era, like, they'd be forever linked beyond just being incredibly stupid good at football. But that game, I think every Penn State fan, again, outside of the unis, will remember it because that was maybe from top, uh, I mean, just right from the start. That was one of the most dominant, fast, pedal-to-the-metal starts that we have ever seen Penn State play. Saquon Barkley has you know, Go ahead. A lot of time on the on offense in that game, it looked like Penn State could do nothing wrong. That was the game that Saquon threw a touchdown pass in because they're like, yeah, let's try it. Let's yeah. see if it works. It, it seemed like they had the same attitude, but the plays just didn't hit. Yeah, Deshaun Hamilton uh, caught a... He caught three touchdowns. He had nine grabs... Yeah, I'm looking for the box score at the box score here. Nine grabs for 122 yards and three re- touchdowns. Like Penn State houses the opening kickoff. 
Indiana gets the ball, fumbles on their first or second play from scrimmage. Penn State gets the ball back, goes right down the feet, and gets the ball to Indiana 39, scores a touchdown. Indiana gets the ball back, punt, Penn State punt, Indiana punt. Penn State, oh wait, no, um, Indiana's punt, or Penn State's punt, uh, forgive me, uh, it bounced off of someone, and, or there was a fumble, and Nick Scott picks it up, brings it into the end zone, 21 to nothing. Penn State then forces a punt, gets the ball back, uh, first quarter, and first quarter doesn't end, and it is 28 to nothing Penn State. And then I think a lot of Penn State fans remember that the rest of that game, Penn State's offense just seemed a touch off. And it seemed like, you, you know, I don't think anyone thought Indiana was ever in a position to win that football game or was ever going to come even close to winning that football game, even though it was 28 to 14 at the half. And as Penn State fans remember, it was 28 to 14 in the Big Ten Championship game when Penn State came back and won. But we'll route. We'll route. But. We saw Penn State in that game, once they went up 28 to nothing, basically take their foot off the gas a little bit and seem like they were very happy to just keep Indiana at arm's length for the rest of the game. Whether or not that was what actually ended up happening or that is uh, just a bad interpretation of what ended up happening, uh, I don't know. I I wasn't. I, you know, I didn't suit up for Penn State in that game, but that was right after the Iowa game. That was right before they took a trip, trip to Northwestern, and then their schedule became Michigan at Ohio State at Michigan State. It just seemed to me like in that game in 2017, once they got up and comfortable, they were happy with taking their foot off the gas, with trying some stuff out, with letting their defense do most of the heavy lifting, and the offense was just kind of happy, you know. Devin Ford, we'll see what you can, we'll see what you can do there. Or, uh, like you mentioned, Jahan Dotson, we'll run this uh, weird RPO thing where Clifford keeps and then runs at you and then throws the football at you. Like that's my favorite play ever because it makes no sense to me. Like it's I, I'm horrible. not a coach. I have no idea what the I have no idea what the goal of it is. It, and it always makes me. I guess. It would be cool if, like, you fake that throw to Dotson, then Hamler's, like, 50 yards down the field laughing, and you chuck it deep to him. But that's never a look, and I, I, I don't get it. Well, my guess, to me. my guess is the hope is that you're going to, like, get every defender on that side of the field to go, oh, wait, Sean Clifford is running the football. I should, like, chuck it. I, I should, like, throw my body at him to keep him from running. But I, I don't know. But... That's basically the vibe that I got. Again, I will go back and watch a little more closely. Uh, but that was just what I felt in the moment was happening. I thought that parallel was, I don't want to say easy to see because I could be a crazy person. And that couldn't be what happened. But what were your thoughts? Because, again, it just seemed to me like they wanted to, like, if they could have pressed Sid from the time that it went up 28 to nothing, I think they would have absolutely done that. No, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It looked, yeah, I like your example of just keeping them at arm's length. Just keep them just far enough away to where they're not a threat and then just get weird, figure out what works, what doesn't. Um, because, again, the season really starts this week. And not, not to say that these mm-hmm. first five games weren't anything, but... Well, well uh, here's the thing. If you want to do anything you can to minimize Pitt and say that that didn't matter, go for it. Yeah, I'll stick with that. Yeah, <laughs> that Pitt-Duke game was great. So congrats uh, to Pitt. Boost our strength of schedule, for, win 10 games. 
rank, if, app, rank app state. I, I'm yes, rank app state. I'm still met. A quick tangent for those of you who didn't see it. Uh, Duke got completely screwed on a two point conversion where they converted, uh, but for whatever reason, the ref said the play didn't count. I, I don't remember what it was off the top of my head. So Duke then gets the ball back and then failed to convert the two-point conversion and Pitt ends up winning the game. It, it was bogus, and it only happens because uh, the media has an agenda to prop up Pitt. Continue, Matt. They were just trying to get Pat Narduzzi more money at Rutgers. Oh, I'm just going to end it on that. I'm just going to end my thoughts on the offense on that. Pat Narduzzi to Rutgers. <laughs> well, that, that's how you describe the offense in the latter half of the game. Rutgers, well, Pat Narduzzi. The thing is, I don't think we can end on that. Uh, because I think there's one thing with the Penn State offense that we have to talk about, um, and it's the thing that I think every Penn State fan that I've seen and I've talked to has kind of been hung up on over the last last few weeks, and I think he got really amped up this week. Nick when, Bowers. Nope, maybe. Shouts to Nick Bowers. But when you look at Penn State's box score and you see Ricky Slade carry the ball four times for two yards. Journey Brown carried the ball five times for 21 yards. Devin Ford carried the ball seven times for 38 yards. And then Noah Kane carried it 12 times for 105 yards and a touchdown. I think that a lot of Penn State fans are probably putting a little too much faith in Noah Kane just because I think it's a lot to put on a running back that young to step in and be the dude right away. Like we were spoiled with Saquon Barkley being able to do this. I I don't know if Noah Kane can do it, but what I will say is that based on everything that we've seen, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Noah Kane is Penn State's most well-rounded running back. And whether or not it like that's the case, Matt, I think he needs to be the guy, and we saw that this week, who gets the lion's share of the carries and gets the chance to do what none of the other guys have either gotten the chance to do or really been able to, which is establish them as the RB1 in this Penn State offense. Yeah, the way I look at it, there are two ways to look at Noah Kane. Uh, Like you said, he had 12 carries. Uh, Five of those came on his touchdown drive. So almost half of them came on one drive. So one the one line of thinking could be he's the guy he has to be the guy from start to finish and the other line has to be he's a human bulldozer if we put him in there in the fourth and give him most of his carries at that point against a worn down mm-hmm. defense he's going to be able to eat I don't know which one is the better way to use him what I've seen is the latter one work and I think Devin Ford Journey Brown and Ricky Slade have a lot to offer and I'm honestly not confident that with the way Noah Kane runs, he can keep that up getting over 15 carries a game. I think 12 is his sweet spot. And I really like how they use him towards the end when they're just like, all right, you're a Purdue defense that's had a lot of injuries and you're probably super tired. We're just going to run this bowling ball at you for an entire drive. And it worked out really well. It, well, the thing with Kane is that I, it's funny because Ford and Slade – I don't want to say they're repetitive, like their skill sets are repetitive or anything like that, but they're two, like, they're the similar backs. They're the pass catching backs. They're the backs who, I I, think that's a bit unfair to Devin Ford because he, you know, seven times for 38 yards is good for a true freshman. But 
I think that in the ideal world that every Penn State fan wants to live in, or Penn State's coaching staff wants to live in, and this is pure speculation, I don't have the source or anything like that, Devin Ford and Ricky Slade would be the guys who they do some fun stuff with. Yeah, they run the ball a little bit, but we get to see them moving around as pass catchers, uh, involved in that aspect of the offense. The screen game is built for players like them. Yep. And I, I, I love the introduction of the screen. I wrote about it on the site a couple weeks ago. The screen game is perfect for those two kind of guys because once they get the walls in front of them and they can build up their speed, no one's going to catch them. And also, they want opposing defenses to think they're the pass-catching backs because so much of sports is the other team guessing what you're going to do and guessing wrong and making it easier for you to do what you want to do. And I think that's probably if Penn State's coaching staff had a role for those two, it would be something like that. Journey Brown is the guy you give the ball to, and he can he can be a reliable guy to get you three, four, five yards, but they'd like him to be a home run threat. And then Noah Kane, for his ability – you know, he, it's not that he doesn't have the ability to, to you know, break out a big run. I, he's absolutely shown that he could do that. But he's the guy who, like you said, he runs at tired legs. He runs through arm tackles. If a linebacker tries to go low on, tries to, you know, body him, he's just going to overpower him. But I do think we're getting to the point where I, I like about 12 carries or so for Noah Kane. Uh, one thing that I do think that hasn't gotten the credit that it deserves is that Sean Clifford is averaging nearly five yards per carry. That's another, it's funny to talk about a quarterback like this, but he, Penn state has three guys with 200 or more rushing yards and he is one of them. But I think that they still, it's good to still ease Noah Kane in. And I do want to see him slowly, but surely get more of a role but like you mentioned, what's that, your perfect, in your opinion, what's your perfect role? Not to cut you off. What's your perfect role for Noah Kane? Oh, like I, thought, what? I thought you were going to say, what's my perfect role? Um, <laughs> I, uh, for me, the perfect role for Noah Kane is he is able to develop into the kind of running back. Oh, God, I don't want to put on him what I'm about to say, but he basically. Do it. He basically turns into the Adrian Peterson type of back. Whoa! Again, that not he's Adrian Peterson, but the bell cow type of running back who you give him the football and he can run through guys, he can run past guys. He is just very good at be, getting a football put into his chest and told to do something. Uh, do something that lets him take advantage of his physicality. Okay. I don't know if his ideal role is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I think having him run 30-some-odd times a game probably that's, isn't That's it. nobody's ideal role. Right. I mean, jo- I mean, Jonathan Taylor is a freak of nature, but neither – like, if he is – if he can be the Thunder in a Thunder and Lightning duo, which I think him and Devin Ford very much have the potential to do, I think that's perfect for him. I, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I love his role right now. Uh, Penn State has – problems late in games to say the least before it's all said and done um noah kane's gonna eliminate that in at least one game him be him being that guy towards the end if if they keep him up with if they keep him in this role as the guy late in the game who when everybody's tired is going to be fresh and ready to run people over he's going to win penn state a game they should lose by the time his time in state college is over i i like that thought because something that we've seen like you said, something that we've seen at a Penn State over the last however many years 
is the ball gets punted away to them. The opposing team has two timeouts. There's three minutes left on the clock, and Penn State is up by one possession. And Penn State has to be able to win the football game. And with how Penn State exists and its reliance on big plays and how what it wants to do is basically break your spirit with one pass or one run go for 60, 70 some odd yards, they can sometimes have problems just giving the ball to somebody and having them win them the football game by just milking out that clock. And that does seem to suit Kane's skill set. But Matt, do you... As I'm looking at the snap counts, Noah Kane, 30 snaps, uh, Ricky Slade, 21 snaps, Journey Brown, 19 snaps, Stephen Ford, 12 snaps. I think that's about where I want Kane at. Penn State's offense had 78 plays, uh, you know, maybe not that much. But I'd like to see Kane getting the lion's share of the snaps. Or we'll say Kane getting the plurality of the snaps. I don't want him... You know, if the Penn State's running 78 offensive plays, I don't want him getting half of that plus one. I want to see him getting more snaps than everybody else, but I do want to see everyone else getting included in one way or another. Would you agree with that, or do you still think the best uh, approach is, you know, Ricky Slade or Devin Ford's on the field the most because of their ability to catch the football, and that gives that direct uh, that dimension or Journey Brown's on the fields because he's a solid all-around running back? Where are you on that? I don't know. Snap counts has been weird this year because Noah Kane's been the guy they keep running uh, when they're up late. Um, so I'm not sure how much to read into that. I do think the best course of action is to keep all four backs happy. I, I think Devin Ford's a little bit different uh, because just because he's so young. But I think the best course of action is to give the majority of the carries to a combination of Journey Brown and Slade and then let Noah Kane eat at the end, like I was saying. Just let him you compare him to Adrian Peterson. I'm going to go the complete opposite, and I'm going to compare him to Zach Zwinak. Uh, <laughs> so what Adrian Peterson and Zach Zwinak, one of them is a bigger compliment. It's on you, uh, listeners, to decide which one you'd rather be compared to. Uh, because Noah Kane knows what he is. He knows he's not going to dance behind the line of scrimmage. He knows I'm not. that's not what I do. I'm going to run you over for four yards, and I'm going to do it again two other times, and we're going to be able to kneel out the ball in a couple of plays and win the game. So I think right now I like what Penn State's doing because I still think late in the game, whoever the back is can settle into a rhythm with enough time to put the game away. So I think that's, that's a total non-answer. But yeah, No, no, no it, it, it's about right. I mean, you think that Noah Kane, Noah Kane's best work will come in fourth quarters of football game. Like, I, yep. I, I, I no doubt in my mind. That, that's, where he, that's where he should be getting most of his carries. And if that happens to be how he gets the majority of carries, I'm fine with that. But he, most of his carries should be coming after halftime. Uh, I, I, I want to see you – know, let, let's get to that Rutgers game and then give him like 35 carries and just see what happens because I think that would be a good time. Oh, God. <laughs> By that time, Rutgers might not even be fielding a football team. So that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. Let's, They're going to be having the, uh, the ghost of, oh, who played the lead guy in Sopranos? James it, Gandolfini? Yeah, the ghost of James Gandolfini is going to be their coach. He's the only more Italian man than the man currently their head coach. Uh, Nunzio. What? Nunzio. Like, I don't even remember his full name, but I just remember his first name is Nunzio. So <laughs> God bless him. Um, yeah, his son's going to be a safety for Penn State. <laughs> what's, uh, let's, go to the final, let's go to the final question that I have about this football game, which is that 
if there's any big lesson that we can take away from it, basically, I struggle with this. I don't know what huge lessons there are out that we can take away considering how injuries have stacked the deck against Purdue to such a killer extent, but I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this. Do you think there are any big lessons we could take away? Um, not from a team perspective, but I'll say this about Shaka Tony. Uh, Dwight Galt's training program works. Shaka Tony came in. I think we all saw him as a pass rush specialist. And I'll be honest, I expected Shane Simmons or even Jason Oway to start over him and have a more productive year. And he's proven me wrong in, in every sense of the word. He is still the monster he we expect him to be in the pass rush. And he can hold his own um, in the run game. I, I, I think Shaka Tony is going to be a household name by the end of the season. And I think that adding that to a defensive line that already had so much it is going to just take this defense as a whole to the next level. And why I say I think Pry's best performance is still yet to come. This was the new benchmark. He's going to have one better. The thing that I keep, and it's something that I've, a thought that I've had over the last couple of years of Penn State football, which is that at its best, Penn State's offense is capable of playing with and scoring on damn near anyone in the country with the way that they've recruited talent, skill position talent with the quarterbacks that they've had with the team's approach to creating big plays to bury opponents. I think when all of that comes together, Penn State's offense is as dangerous as anyone else in college football. But the thing that has always kind of had me a bit concerned is when that's not happening. Is Penn State able to stem the tide in those situations? And I think this game showed, as we've seen in a few other games, that when Penn State hits a rough patch like it did from for basically all the third quarter, there is so much talent on this defense, especially in the front seven. Uh, the secondary might be a little bit tough if Tariq Castro Fields is hurt for an extended period of time and they play a team that isn't missing its top quarterback and running back. There is just enough talent on that defense that it is going to be able to give Penn State's offense a bit of a cushion and a bit of time to figure out what does and does not work on a given night. And that's a really scary proposition. And that's something that I think we've seen that in Pat. I, mean, I think we really saw that uh, against Pitt. I think we saw that in the first half against Buffalo. But it was really something that was hammered home against Purdue, and that's something that I'm going to be paying really close attention to uh, during this upcoming three or, or four game stretch because Minnesota has Minnesota's a, an interesting football team. They have some talent. Rank the Gophers. I uh, rank the Gophers. They, you have, they oh God, they if they win, they can just win a game convincingly against someone that isn't Illinois. They would will be neither here nor there. I don't. I, don't, I, don't, I want them to win every game by <laughs> eight points, and I I want them to. I want them to be. Whatever it is, eight and zero, nine and zero, having won every game in the worst possible fashion, and then I want Penn State to blow them off the turf, and okay. I will yeah. laugh for a day. Yeah, that that would be pretty cool. But yeah, I that's the thing that Penn State's going to have to hang its hat on because there are going to be times against a good Iowa defense, a very 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 good Michigan defense, and a very 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 good Michigan State defense, where Penn State's offense just isn't able to get going, and 
I think that the defense is good enough that it's going to be able to give the offense time to figure out what does or does not work. And that was something that really was hammered home against Purdue. And that's something that I think is going to be hammered home, I hope is hammered home, over the next however many games are left in the season. Uh, Matt, you are not going... Eh, you, you might be. I won't say anything for sure, but Lord knows what the hell Nick's going to end up doing. Nick or Matt's going to end up doing. But you might not be here for the Iowa podcast. Uh, as we... Start. I'll be. I'll be there in spirit. You, at least you will absolutely be here in spirit. But as we start, you know, setting the phasers to Iowa, what are your just general thoughts on Penn State and how it matches up against Iowa heading into that game? I have no idea what to expect from this game. Uh, that Iowa Michigan game was the worst thing I've ever watched in my life, and I've watched the fourth Indiana Jones movie multiple times. Um, it. Why? I. Uh, well, I love Indiana Jones, and I saw that movie twice in theaters, and I own it on DVD, and that's, <laughs> that's a story for another time. Um, it's my least favorite movie. Um, but I think Penn State matches up really well against Iowa. I think Penn State's defense is one of the five, six, seven defenses in the country that's better than Iowa's. Uh, Kinnick's going to be weird, but I don't think Nate Stanley is the kind of giant killer that Iowa fans think he can be. I think it's a good matchup for Penn State because I think they're, after we saw what Michigan's defensive line was able to do to Iowa's offensive line, I think they can force Stanley into mistakes. And I think Penn State needs to generate turnovers if they're going to walk out of Kinnick uh, because I don't think the offense is going to be able to do a whole lot trying to sustain some drives against a defense that has that much talent at all three levels. I, I think I'd agree with that. Do you? Do you basically th- okay? So would you say create turnovers? Is it getting fumbles, getting interceptions, all that, or do you think a major part of it is Penn State being able to, uh, you know, three and outs for Iowa, and then Penn State's offense just gets right onto the field? I think it's Penn State's pass rush, uh, pass pass rush. I said that wrong like three times earlier. It's really making me mad. Um, getting to Nate Stanley. And forcing him into bad throws. I think it's pure interceptions or fumbles. I, I think that's what it's going to be. Um, because if if it's punting and Penn State has to take over drives from inside their 20 or 30, I think Penn State can sustain at most four drives of over like six plays against this Iowa defense. So it's going to be field position, big returns, and then I think getting to the quarterback and forcing Nate Stanley to make some mistakes. Yeah, I... Uh... Let's see. I haven't gotten a chance to check up on SP Plus this week and see where uh, I was. At. I was at uh, number 21 in college football, the 55th offense, 9th defense, and 27th on special teams. Penn State, 10th offense, 16th defense, 32nd. 16th defense? Teams. Yeah. Well, really? I, I, I think my, my guess is the. Buffalo and Pitt games probably hurt them a little bit. I, I'll go back and look at one point or another and see how that interesting. See, see how they've trended uh, since those games. But huh. yeah, I, the offense being above the defense is something that surprised me a little. Bit. I didn't quite see that, but uh, it is good there. They seems like they figured some stuff out on special teams. Uh, I yeah, it, it seems like it's going to be a good fun game. Make sure you listen to the pod a little bit later in the week as we break that one down. Uh, We'll end this week's pod as we do every other pod, which is uh, talking about Big Ten games. Uh, We'll start 
just by identifying the ones that I don't care about, which is Wisconsin beating Kent State 48 to nothing. Maryland. Jonathan Taylor, stop playing now. Jonathan Taylor. Actually play against Ohio State and then shut it down. But yes, do that. But young man, there is nothing that you can prove to anyone at this point. You are an excellent football player who, uh, if you will just indulge me for one moment as I do some math, uh, you have carried the football 709 times in <laughs> uh, two and a half years. You don't need to do this any longer, my guy. You're go-, go get paid. Make sure your body doesn't get broken down before you get to that point. But, yeah, he's an excellent football player. I- Wisconsin's an excellent football team. I think Ohio's just probably going to smoke them. Uh, but neither here nor there. Uh, I have nothing else to add about that game. Do you, Matt? Nope. That's all I got. Uh, Maryland, 48, Rutgers, 7. All I can add, Rutgers, keep it up, guys. You're you're going to get there someday if you make it five more years maybe the big east will bring back football there might not be i don't think there's much of an argument for rutgers to keep a football program at this point but that's uh mostly me Look, the american the american needs a yukon replacement notre dame should join the big 10 carry on okay <laughs> that was me that was real mean saying that they should go to the American, neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> Minnesota forty, Illinois seventeen. Illinois real bad. Uh, Minnesota, uh, I don't know if they're good. They have some good football players in their team. Um, I'm all aboard the hype train. I am the conductor of the Minnesota hype train. I've never seen, uh, as someone who writes our rankings every week, I've never seen a number twenty six like appear in the rankings before, and I was really thrown off. I'm like, do I include them? But uh, good for them. They got like ninety seven votes despite being five and zero. Despite being five, again, I mean, it all comes down to who they played and how they played, neither here nor there, but yeah. Uh, let's look at the games that are more, slightly more interesting. Well, I don't want to say interesting because I'm about to make fun, talk about Nebraska 13, Northwestern 10. Um, <laughs> I think that the worst person in college football might be Pat Fitzgerald. It is amazing the extent to which he has destroyed every single ounce of goodwill that he has as one of the greatest players in Northwestern history and as the best coach in Northwestern history because his offensive coordinator is someone who every game spends 60 minutes with his brain just leaking out of his ears. (laughs) I live live with two people, uh, one from Georgia and one from Texas, and I was explaining to them Big Ten football. And I was explaining to them how Northwestern's had the same offensive coordinator for like 30 years and they never score more than 14 points. And they're like, well, why don't you fire him? And I'm just like, that's, that's great for Northwestern. They're can totally content right now. So that, that game was wonderful. Good for the walk-on backup kicker for Nebraska making that field goal. Uh, the, uh, the backup kicker who was a safety at Air Force. Is that true? Yeah. He was a safety. He was a safety at Air Force. Who they, their kicker, uh, and he transferred to uh, Nebraska, but their kicker ended up getting hurt, so they needed to put him in there. And now uh, Wayne McCalla. I'll double check this, but uh, yeah, he was. uh, Yeah, he was at Air Force, where he. where he was a say, uh, he was the emergency place kicker for the Huskers. Nice, good award. I, 
Pat Fitzgerald supports the troops. Pat Fitz- he also thinks that RPOs are communism, which is not a joke. <laughs> that is a direct quote by Pat Fitzgerald. And despite being a man in his, what, early 40s, calls Facebook my face. How old is Pat How is he 44? <laughs> He's been a head football coach since 2006. He's a 44-year-old who wants to be 75. He, right. He wants to be – He no one would be better suited getting fired and then going to the Nick Saban School for Rehabilitating Former Head Coaches as Coordinators as Pat Fitzgerald. Like, North or the XFL. Or the – oh, God. He'd rule the – him and Vince McMahon <laughs> could right? like – him and Vince McMahon could just like be horrible people together. That would be a good time. Now, now that I think about it, yeah, I'm kind of all for that. Uh, yep. <laughs> Michigan and Iowa, uh, 10-3 football game. Boom. Nate Stanley threw three picks. Uh, Iowa ran the ball 30 times, Matt. How many yards did they gain on that? Oh, God. Is it, is it under 70? Yep. Is it really? Is it, under, Bro- is it under 50? Brother, it's way under both of those. Is it? Is it <laughs> it's got to be over 10. Brother. <laughs> no way. A single yard. No way. Oh, I my God. I don't know God. how many. Nate Stanley got sacked eight times for negative 65 yards. Which oh, is where that number wow. came from. There Penn State's going to hit 12 next week. They're going to break their record. Uh, I'm, I'm, mark it down. Their longest, getting the 12 sacks. Their longest rush of the game came from Torin Young, who ran for 15 yards. And uh, do you listen to the full cast? I do, yeah. Did you listen to this week's? Uh, not yet, no. Well, they... Or the preview or the recap? Uh, the recap. Uh, not yet, no. They... I would recommend that everyone listens to that because they talk about how Dan Deerdorf uh, calls Michigan games. And he just, <laughs> he just spends games as a disgusted Michigan alum the entire time. <laughs> Talking about this like newfangled offense and oh god, it, it's a good time. But yeah, Michigan uh, did not look good. Iowa also did not look good. Their deep, I mean, their defenses look solid, but I'm very interested in how good their defenses are versus how bad the opposing offenses are because that basically sums up what's going to happen with Penn State over the next few weeks. Yeah, uh, I have no idea if any of those teams mean anything or are all that relevant going forward um but i know on the outside looking in if penn state blows the door off them it would not be a surprise and if penn state loses by seven it would not be a surprise yeah it feels like the only thing that isn't on the table in either of those games is penn state getting blown out which yep i, I That's will a good place to exist exactly i will happily 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 go into those games feeling like pet you know as long as penn state doesn't get blown out i like just have a shot in them, and I'm happy. Uh, finally, the game. Talking about uh, two teams, one of whom I don't think Penn State's going to have much of a shot against, and I really hate this. Uh, Michigan State, ten. Ohio State, thirty-four. Um, I think people will see. How much of this game did you end up watching, uh, Matt? Uh, a good amount. I think that people will see. Oh, thirty-four to ten. Like, that's not. You know, that's not a total blowout for, you know, it's a comfortable one, but not a blowout for Ohio State. In Columbus at night, like you expect Ohio State, no, 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 no. Um, 
Michigan's Ohio State's success rate in the first quarter of this game was six percent. Nothing worked for them in the first quarter, and then they scored thirty-four points on a very, very, very good Michigan State defense. It's getting increasingly hard for me, Matt, to think that anything other than Ohio State winning that game is going to happen when Penn State travels to Columbus at the end of the year. Yeah, um, I'll agree with that. Um, I am terrified of Ohio State. Uh, but with that being said, I think if Lewerke hit a couple early passes, it could have gotten weird. Uh, but I think that's going to help Penn State long term because I think Penn State can give them the biggest test. And I think the longer Ohio State goes without being truly tested, the better Penn State's chances become. Yeah, I mean, so take that for what it's worth. It, it's an interesting thought because while while I agree with that, Ohio State also has Wisconsin in Columbus on uh, October 26th. So speed's speed's going to kill on that one. Ohio State's going to blow them out. I I think speed's going to. I think Ohio. Wisconsin's going to fight valiantly, but I, I would agree with that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State would be able uh, Wisconsin would be able to run the ball a little bit and then, you know, do some smoke and mirror type stuff with throwing the football, but I don't think it'll be something that happens consistently. And it'll be a lot like this one where, you know, thirty-four to ten, you know, that's twenty-four points, but it's a lot more convincing that, that score might actually end up indicating. Uh, yeah, I forget who tweeted. I forget who saw it. It wasn't. This isn't a my thought. Um, but somebody tweeted, um, "Ohio State's doing to a pretty good Big Ten what Clemson's doing to a garbage ACC," mm-hmm. and that's a terrifying concept. That's that, that's what, like it's just so hard for me to think that feel good about that game. I do could I do feel pretty good, as good as you can feel uh, about what is an objectively terrible situation. Uh, good about Penn State going into East Lansing, uh, even though that is against Michigan State coming off of a bye, and Michigan State has looked a little bit uh, a little bit better over the past couple of games, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But it just seems like I just cannot imagine that Michigan State going up against a defense with this, that is able to make speed and power and aggressiveness like Penn State is going to be able to do all that much, even though their defense is nasty. Like, you know, we're up, um, how many weeks away from that game? What are just general thoughts that you have heading into that one, Matt? On the Ohio State one or the Michigan State one? Michigan State. Um, I think Mark D'Antonio is going to retire. Uh, I hope he didn't sell his final soul to the devil to pull some more magic nonsense against Penn State. I hope he's going to sell that to a wizard for the Michigan game. Who do you want Michigan State to hire? In the in the event, I, I don't think. Oh they, man, I don't uh, think they will tell Mark. Dan, I don't think Mark D'Antonio will retire. I don't think they will fire him. I think it will be one of those things where it goes, "Hey, do you know what wouldn't be the worst idea in the world if you know you, the guy who's going to be sixty four next season, uh, moves to an administrative role like that?" I think if they, I think if they change the locks on the Michigan State building, Mark D'Antonio would just be confused and just assume like, "Okay, my, my building's gone now," and then just go home. I just think he's that over this. <laughs> uh, who do I think they'll hire? Uh, I think Luke Fickle. Let's go with that. Ooh. I think I think Matt Campbell is going to get a better job than Michigan State. Uh, if he wants to leave Iowa State, uh, I think Luke Fickle would be a really good hire. The, the thing that I keep coming back to is how we see it, – it's what, 
five games into his head coaching career, we're already seeing Ryan Day get tossed around for like NFL jobs. Like if he were to take the Washington job, that would be a ter- probably a bad idea for him, but I can completely understand why he, he would do that. And also I really want him to do that. And that's like, I wouldn't be surprised if they go in the fickle direction then. Um, yeah. But I love that fit. I love the fit of Luke Fickle at Michigan. Like that is just culture. I don't know if he'd do that just because he is such an Ohio State guy, but culturally, that's just like the perfect fit for him. I think he. I think he'd pull a Dan Mullen. I think he's okay being in the same conference uh, like Mullen was at Mississippi State because I think he knows. I don't think Ryan Day is around long term there. I think he totally on. Whatever the word is, I have no proof of this, but I think he is heading for an NFL job uh, at some point. He will be there less time than Urban Meyer was there, and I think Luke Fickle knows that. And I think Luke Fickle wants that job God, really badly. That that'd be great. I mean, Fickle's a. <laughs> I, I I was going to Fickle's ask you, Pat, Fitch, Pat Fitzgerald light. He he, except he's like more receptive to the concept of offense than Pat Fitzgerald. I actually had meant to ask you this: uh, Were there like riot? Uh, those of you who don't know, Matt lives down in lovely Orlando, Florida. Uh, were there? What was that? You better believe it. Were there like riots in the street over that video that Cincy tweeted out after it beat uh, after it beat UCF? No, but I really wanted to talk about it at work today. <laughs> I had to bite my tongue because I was in a room with a, a couple UCF grads, so I had to bite my tongue. Listen, UCF – and I think UCF ended up getting a pretty crap – like they've been villainized in a way that I don't think they probably should be because if I went to a group of five school and my group of five school did what UCF did over the past couple of years, I would absolutely do a whole hell of a lot of talking and think that – Oh, they, my God, yeah. Yeah, and also like uh, – yeah, I'd probably think that – they're like TV ratings behind my team not getting the love that it deserves, especially, you know, they beat Auburn in a bowl game, like all that stuff. Having said that, seeing the extent to which they got got <laughs> by a you hate to see it video is just all time outstanding. Like it was, it was so good. One of these days, I want to like, I'd love to just like meet someone who works in Cincy's like a uh, marketing department and say what what happened when someone had the idea to make that for those that I if you have not seen that video what it is is uh as you've seen the the podcast it, is a visual medium right <laughs> if you've I will try and remember to put this in the description uh for the pod any Disney movie where it does the win, you wish upon a star opening like with Disney with a Magic Kingdom like. Don't in the copyright show. us, Disney, please. Yeah, I, I, it's okay. All their lawyers are probably busy. I don't know with literally anything else. But if you've ever seen that, UCF made that video. Except instead of saying Disney at the end of it, it said "You hate to see it" in Walt Disney's handwriting, and it is perfect. It is the perfect college football thing i just i cannot get over it like on my drive back to syracuse from columbus tonight there was one point where i damn near had to pull the car over because i was just laughing so hard thinking about it (laughs) like i it's i would love to see penn state do more of it like how much fun would you have if 
you know, after they beat Michigan, you know, after they beat Michigan, the Penn State football account tweets out like that picture of shirtless Jim Harbaugh, like holding a football above his head in a pair of cat. You know, the one that I'm talking about. Oh yeah, absolutely. They need to start doing stuff like that. I think it'd be funny if they uh, had like a zoo, like a, a close-in shot of the uh, of the Ohio State tuba player dotting the eye. Like it's Ohio, and then you just zoom out and it just says fail. I think that would be great. <laughs> so uh, Penn State Marketing, please do that. You did the Chamber of Secrets that I tweeted about like a year ago. So here's my contribution for this year. Do you, is there like – oh, uh, hmm. I know there was one time where the uh, – where I think they dotted the, – the dude who dotted the I or whomever it was like – smashed into the tv camera so maybe something like that but yeah they, <laughs> we, we need to get a little more hate and ass nonsense on our social media accounts penn state like you you can certainly hire myself or matt and we will help you do this but yeah if you want to uh if you want to just like start talking that talk i think everyone would appreciate that yeah as the two people probably on the blog who like to tweet the most nonsense oh, yeah. uh, i think that would be great without giving too much away uh since november 8th 24th of 2018 matt has been waiting for jesse lukita to do literally anything and i won't explain why uh, other than pay attention to the to the blog's twitter account during a football game if jesse lukita ever does anything because matt has something up his sleeve that i think everyone's really going to enjoy I, it's so hard for me to like anytime he does anything i want to do it um and it's so hard for me to sit on it and i just cannot wait until he does one thing that's worth it. And everyone's everyone who's listening to this is going to know what it is when it happens. Y'all are going to enjoy it. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this edition of the podcast. Matt, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to do, uh, fill in for the dastardly Matt DeBear. Absolutely. Anytime I can replace the horrible, evil Matt, I will yes. do it. <laughs> uh, people might not actually believe me when I say this, but we do refer – to this Matt as good Matt and uh, boss Matt as bad Matt. So yep. it, uh, that is absolutely true. <laughs> so yes, uh, thank you to Matt for his time. Thank you to you for taking the time to listen to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you're subscribing on all the various podcast uh, apps that are out there, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, all those other ones. iTunes, if you're heading on there, make sure you're leaving us a review, preferably a five-star one. Uh, make sure you are following us on all our social media channels. Make sure you're reading and supporting the site. And of course, best way to support the site is always to make sure you're buying some shirts. So thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.